The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. We walk on them every day, and sadly, it is not often until they are in pain that we appreciate them, our feet. So if you've suffered from bunions or injured your foot or ankle, suffering severe pain or aches in your feet, and then make it extremely difficult for you to walk, you begin to appreciate how important it is to have healthy and functional feet. Today we speak with orthopaedic surgeon, Dr. Reza Saleh, who specialises in foot, ankle and knee arthroplasty. Dr. Reza Saleh talks to us about pains and surgery in our feet and ankles. What are the symptoms in our feet that people should seek advice for? Well, the foot's a complex, it's a complex structure. There's so many joints, bones, ligaments, tendons, and any of these can be affected. Uh, by far the most common thing people see us for is pain, mm-hmm. um, which can vary. You can be mechanical in nature. People can get rest pain. They can get nerve pain. So there's a wide sort of assortment of pain we see. The other things that people commonly see us for is deformities, which mm-hmm. sort of goes hand in hand with pain. Uh, they can also have swelling. They can have instability. They can have stiffness. But they're the most common things we see and often a combination of all of these. Okay. And is that, when would they most commonly come and see you? So sometimes they would go to a podiatrist first? Yeah. If yes. you could just explain when you would see a podiatrist. Of course. Now, we work very closely as a team approach with allied health um, colleagues. Uh, podiatrists and uh, physiotherapists are the key to treatment of a lot of foot and ankle conditions. And majority of conditions can are very adequately and well treated by our colleagues. When things do not improve um, and patients have exhausted all appropriate conservative treatment options, then there may be a potential role for surgery. But I do stress that for the majority of conditions that we see, we like to regard surgery as a last resort. Uh, There are clearly some things which we regard more as emergencies like fractures, dislocations, occasionally infections or aggressive tumours, which uh, we'll directly see an orthopaedic surgeon. But uh, like I say, we do work very closely with our podiatrists and physiotherapists in particular. Okay. And what types of conditions require surgery of the feet and the ankles? Now, once again, the foot and ankle is very diverse structure. A lot of things can can occur. I mean, we can break it down to our sort of our painful conditions and they they vary, again, on the structure involved. The most common thing we'll see in regarding is pain is arthritis. It's very common in the foot. One of the most common places to develop arthritis with no obvious predisposing factor is the great toe. We call it hallux rigidus. There are also neurologic and nerve causes of pain. Things like Morton's neuroma is incredibly common. We can have nerve compression syndromes like tarsal tunnel syndrome. We can also have people who have non-surgical causes of nerve pain, like uh, diabetics who get what we call a peripheral neuropathy. The other thing is uh, deformities. Uh, Again, it goes hand in hand, but we see a lot of deformities, especially in the forefeet, like bunions and clawed toes. We see a lot of hind foot deformities where people will get sort of flat feet. And again, they're not always requiring surgery, but um, some of them do. 
We also see degenerative conditions with the soft tissue conditions um, like tendonitis or, again, commonly plantar fasciitis. And we also see acute uh, trauma, whether it's fractures or dislocations, especially around the ankle. Ankle sprains and dislocations are probably the most common soft tissue injury, which uh, emergency departments and general practitioners will see. And so they're often happening on our Australian footy fields? Very common. Or on netball courts? Well, it's interesting that you say that. When I worked in London doing foot and ankle surgery, ankle injuries were relatively uncommon. But with our very sporting culture, Australian rules football and netball, they certainly keep us busy. And um, success, a lot of success with having surgery? Yes. Look, if, if, again, we, a lot of these conditions, we do our best to treat them conservatively, where you can immobilize them in cam walkers and moon boots, mm. physiotherapists, podiatrists are, are very important. And I'd say generally talking about ankle injuries in particular, mm. which are very common, that I'd say over 90%. Uh, general practitioners handle very well, along with our allied health colleagues. But if they do come for surgery, for ligament reconstruction, they do have an excellent results. And success rates of these surgeries sort of approach 99% of having a stable ankle. If you've, for instance, broken your ankle or fractured it on the footy field or on the netball court, how often then are you able to have surgery and then get back on the court? Or I think that it uh, clearly depends on the patient, the type yeah. of fracture and injury and associated damage, but there's a very, very good chance. We treat these injuries and we anticipate that they will return to their chosen sport. Oh, that's good news. And so you talked earlier about bunions. How common are they? Because I've had friends that have them and, yeah, they they look painful. Yeah, incredibly common. I think in any shoe-wearing society, it does vary on how we classify bunions, but significant bunions will occur in at least 30% of people. Wow. And is there a particular age that you're more likely Uh, to get them? Yeah, very good question. Uh, Look, there are two sorts of bunions. There are the more genetic bunions where people have a a strong family history and it's often related to ligamentous laxity or looseness. And these bunions typically occur in in adolescence and they can be quite severe and progress. The more standard bunion we see is uh, in middle-aged. Now, the uh, middle-aged depends on how old you are, of course, but we start to see a peak in the sort of 40s all the way up to the 70s. Yeah, right. And why do we get them? Again, a very good question. There is no doubt that there are some genetic predisposition factors, predisposing factors. As I mentioned, the uh, children who get them and the family history. Uh, but reality is is that um, shoes do cause bunions. Your mother was right. And it doesn't have to be high heels or stilettos. We have had studies where populations who don't wear shoes have a low incidence of bunions, maybe 3%. And once they modernise, if that's the correct term, mm. and start to wear shoes, the incidence of bunions approaches that 30%. So shoes do cause bunions to a degree. Wow. So then who are more likely to get them? Is it the people that have the genetic predisposition? And then what sort of shoes are giving us bunions? Yes, again, genetics is important. And also... The reality is, and it's not at all meant to be a sexist comment, but females are more likely to get bunions. Um, probably a ratio of um, nine t- to one. Wow. So for every 10 bunions we see, um, nine of them will be female. And that's usually uh, due to a ligament laxity. Uh, you know, um, they tend to have looser ligaments. Uh, they tend to have slightly flatter feet, which contributes to that. And 
well, look, do stilettos and high heel pointy shoes contribute? They probably do. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But, you know, that's not, not for me to tell people what to wear. Yeah, of course. And so then who would benefit and when would someone benefit from perhaps having surgery on their bunions? Okay, another very good question. I think the, the first thing I would mention that it's not a cosmetic operation. If people don't like the look of their feet and come to see an orthopaedic surgeon for uh, correction to make it look better and it's a non-symptomatic bunion, it doesn't hurt, then don't operate. Okay. I think that it's dangerous. I think that you will get an unhappy patient. They might not be happy with the scars, which will happen with any surgery. So those who would benefit sort of from bunion surgery, again, the ones who don't respond to conservative treatment are the easiest thing. We're practical is to wear, you know, more accommodative shoes which don't press on a bunion. Orthotics may also have a role. Now, there's no doubt that this doesn't always work and we have to be practical in terms of the shoes, especially a lady is expected to wear, especially mm. in social or work situations. So if the bunion is symptomatic then and it's failed to respond to uh, alterations of shoes, different styles, orthotics, then more than prepared to operate. Most people will present either with, as I mentioned, pressure in shoes. They may also present with mechanical pain because there is a lot of evidence that chronically untreated severe bunions will potentially cause osteoarthritis in a great toe. Wow. Um, in addition, some people will get neurologic nerve pain. There are nerves which run over the um, inner aspect of the great toe, which do get stretched out over time and can rub on shoes. And also, we as orthopaedic surgeons get more concerned as in some patients will start to blister and get infections, especially the older population with softer skin or diabetics. And also, if the bunion then affects the um, lesser toes, it can cause further deformities, which can be actually more difficult to treat. Okay. And what sort of pains do they describe when, they, when, they, when you've said that bunions might be causing you pain and they're the patients that are more likely to benefit from surgery. What sort of pain are they feeling? Well, a lot of it is mechanical pain um, and, and you know, the more they walk, the more they hurt, pressure mm. pain from the shoes. And of more concern is, I guess, nerve neuralgic pain or when they start to get pain at night, that suggests to me that they're probably starting to get some degenerative or arthritic changes in the bunion. Oh, goodness. And then how... Um, quickly would someone recover from surgery on their bunions? Look, foot surgery, it does take some time to get over in general, any foot mm. trauma or surgery, because we stand on our feet, okay? It's a gravity effect, fluid sort of uh, moves downwards. It's a, We can't change the laws of nature. You don't walk in your hands, okay? Yeah. And we know that the swirling discomfort, stiffness does sort of uh, take longer than some people can anticipate. Look, on average, it takes about six weeks to recover from the majority of the, um, the surgical trauma, which and that's what surgery is, because for most bunion surgery, there are different variations of bunions, clearly, but majority of bunion operations are involving resetting the bones. The bones don't grow lumps and you just shave them off. That's quite unusual, to be honest. Um, majority of bunion corrections involves an osteotomy or surgically breaking the bone resetting it and then fixing it with screws. Now that clearly, it's like a fracture, it takes a while to heal. So I tell people, you know, six weeks, they'd be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, they, they, then they start to get going on it. By three months, you know, they have normally forgiven 
the surgeon. And by six months, they're telling all the friends all about how good it is. Oh. Now, there is a vogue for doing keyhole and minimally invasive bunions, which, look, in the carefully selected patient does have a role. It's really only reserved for mild bunions. For the more um, severe bunions, you know, it's really quite questionable whether keyhole surgery has any advantages. This incision isn't that much smaller uh, to be honest, in the standard bunion. And all, most majority of our studies show that keyhole surgery for bunions or minimally invasive makes no difference at all to the length of recovery, degree of discomfort, swelling or stiffness. It makes no difference. But keyhole surgery or minimally invasive surgery, um, when the patient has not been selected appropriately, can actually cause a lot of problems, uh, damage to the bone, shortening bone dying. So it's something that... We have explored and we are happy to discuss with the appropriate patient who doesn't suit every patient. Can you tell us about hematoe? Yes, hematoes are deformities affecting the lesser toes. That's, look, there's different definitions of hematoes, how we classify them. Look, we call them mallet toes, hematoes, um, claw toes. But look, basically any lesser toe deformity where the toe is deformed, usually it's a flexion deformity mainly, and they um, are often associated with bunions, and that's one of the reasons to correct the bunion is if it's causing lesser toe deformities either by direct pressure as the big toe deviates or by offloading stresses to the great toe and the rest of the foot. These normally present with calluses or pressure problems on the top, rubbing on shoes, or what we call metatarsalgia, where the bones on the bottom of the of the joints actually become prominent on the sole of the foot and cause painful calluses. Once again, common, uh, they are usually treated with shoe adjustments. Uh, podiatric colleagues can organise orthotics to offload the front of the foot. We can organise silicone sleeves to, to reduce pressure. If those methods fail, then there are certainly good surgical procedures which uh, we can use mainly to straighten out and partially fuse the toes. And do they affect... Uh, women again more than men? Once again, I do apologise. and <laughs> oh, no. It is, again, uh, women often have much more delicate gracile joints and there's a structure which we're more aware of called a plantar plate. It's basically a broad ligament beneath the base of the toe which we're recognising now more and more as being very prone to degenerating and tearing over time causing these deformities. Oh, okay. And once again, it may be related to bunions, but often it may be due to dancing and, and heels, unfortunately. Okay. So um, do many ballet dancers and people? Very common, very Is common. It? I've had the um, honour of treating a lot of ballet dancers in my career and uh, they, they do suffer for their art. They do have quite severe deformities mm. and it, it becomes a very difficult situation because a lot of them are yeah. symptomatic and if we do treat them, they often get a little bit of permanent stiffness, which makes things difficult. So ballot answers are difficult because they will mm. need surgery, but the timing is always very crucial. It's very important. And how about osteoarthritis and how that can cause pain in your feet? And how can that be treated successfully with surgery? Yeah, osteoarthritis are very common in the foot. Um, uh, once again, the great toe is one of the places which people can get a de novo without any obvious injury. But Feet are commonly injured, whether it's minor repetitive trauma like football players, your netball players, mm. whether it's a major trauma like a fracture. And, and it's common in Australia very then? Very common, very common. So, And over time, you know, people will dis, uh, dis, describe pain again, which is mechanical, it's related to what they do. 
and activity levels. They can get swelling, stiffness, again, form bone spurs and rubbing in the shoes. Once again, we're quite fortunate that our podiatry colleagues in particular with their orthotic adjustments and shoe alterations can take a lot of pressure off the foot and reduce pain. There are other non-operative measures where general practitioners are very important as well. We use uh, analgesics, anti-inflammatories. We can use um, cortisone injections. Mm. Now, there are those patients uh, which will not respond, and they're usually the more severe arthritic ones. And there are surgical options. Uh, there, there are several options available to us. Um, look, depends on, how, again, the major presenting symptom and severity. We can trim bits of bone if they rub in certain areas, which can be very effective, but we reinforce the fact that that does not change the progress of the arthritis. Um, there are There is a scope to do joint replacements, um, mainly in the great toe and also in the ankle, some other joints we are also working on. But the major way we treat severe arthritis is fusion surgery. Now, fusion means basically joining two bits of bone together so they become one. So it doesn't um, hurt, but it doesn't move. And as such, reduction, a permanent reduction of movement or stiffness can cause functional issues. And that's why we select those patients very carefully. And once again, they've exhausted all appropriate conservative treatment measures. And is there an age of person that's more affected by osteoarthritis? Usually the older the patient, um, because it's often rather than uh, acute single trauma, it's repetitive wear and tear, we believe. Mm. Other things can can add to it like gouts or some of the inflammatory arthritis or progressive deformities. And as such, it tends to be an older patient, which is, I guess, quite fortunate because if we do have to fuse them, um, the older patient may not be quite as active as, say, a youngster who wants to run or play football and mm. they, they tolerate a fusion much better. Yeah. And then when would someone need surgery to their ankle? Well, for ankle conditions, uh, once again, to repeat myself, we, we do our best to treat things conservatively. The majority of ankle operations we do uh, in Australia are either for uh, ligamentous disruptions, like sprains and unstable mm. ankles, or arthritic ankles. They're the most common. Uh, so if someone's failed to respond to a physiotherapist strapping if they've got an unstable ankle or a cortisone injection, mm. and they're having increasing pain or dysfunction, that their ankle's rolling on them, and they can't play sport to do what they want to do, scared of dropping the baby or doing other damage, mm. then there is certainly a, a, a good scope for reconstructive surgery where we um, can repair the ligaments. And we've got various options for doing that, usually using your own, the patient's own tissue or you know some of their own local tendon grafts or even synthetic ligaments. And the success rates for ankle reconstructive surgery are excellent. We, mm. we approach 99% uh, for wow. what it can be a very... Uh, and it can certainly change a person's life. Yeah, you know, of we course. can get a lot of athletes back. For the more arthritic conditions, again, they're difficult. We do have in select patients, uh, ankle replacements uh, can be performed. They uh, have a finite lifespan. They will wear out at some stage. And so we have to select the patients carefully. And the sort of uh, definitive solution for severe arthritis, once again, is a fusion. And again, a lot of people are resistant to that idea, mm. quite understandably, if they've got a good range of movement. But usually by the time someone is, if they're that bad that they they need a fusion, usually the ankle doesn't move that much anyway, and they don't miss that movement. And how long would you be tolerating, you know, you've talked about 
you know, tr- exhausting all mm-hmm. options, which is absolutely fantastic to hear. But how long would it be that someone would be exhausting it and tolerating the pain and then they think, I just not having that quality of life yeah. that perhaps they need to maybe get a second opinion and go and seek um, a consultation with someone like yourself? Yeah, look, I, I think that's a good question. I think that um, by the time people are approaching ankle surgery, we, we do like to, well, it's commonly used that we trial, for example, steroid injections. And for us, that's almost like a prelude to surgery. You know, if everything else fails, then we, we, we often try steroid. That can work, but it may not. So I sort of mm. say to patients, look, try a steroid, give it a good three months. You know, and if it hasn't worked, it's unlikely to work. Yes. And that's when, if it's bad enough, of course, and depending on their general health and personal circumstances, we'd, we'd strongly consider a uh, ankle arthrodesis or fusion. Okay, good to know. And then what should people know about feet and ankle surgery when they're considering it as a treatment option for them? Look, it's, once again, you know, the theme that, that yeah. keeps recurring is we, surgery, apart from, you know, traumatic conditions or infections or tumours we sometimes see, it, it, there's no need to rush into it. Okay, um, we we do you, you know respect our GPs, our podiatrists, our physiotherapists, and we do as practical as much as we can to avoid surgery. But once um, a decision has been made to surgery, it really it's it's pretty a basic process. I think that um, it's important uh, because there are various um, people that do perform surgery, and it's important that uh, a patient does question, you know, exactly uh, how qualified the surgeon is. I think Mm. um, it's important to see some of the medical background Mm. has had proper surgical training and... Working in a hospital. Working in in one of the major hospitals. I think that while um, it is maybe just a foot or ankle, it is connected to the rest of the patient and Mm. and things happen. People can have problems with infections, they can make it blood pressure problems, pneumonia, and it's... I think important to see someone who does a surgery who's actually a medical practitioner mm. who can at least treat and identify these conditions and refer appropriately. Yes, sounds very good advice. And then finally, I have to ask this question for everyone out there and all the listeners. So does shoes really matter to keeping our feet and ankles safe from injury? Because, you know, you see all the ads out there mm-hmm. and um, you get told, all the different shoes we should be wearing for all the different reasons. But in your practice and with all your knowledge and expertise in this area in seeing feet every day in what you do, does it really matter? I mean, with bunions, you've said it can make a difference to bunions, but on whole, what what's your thoughts? Well, look, for specific reasons like, you know, industrial sort of situations and for workers, steel cap toe, uh, boots make a big difference in protecting their toes. And people who have, you know, some sort of any arthritis or the arches tend to collapse, sort of good supportive shoes with a nice um, medial arch, we call it, can make mm. a difference. But I think it's a very good question. Look, you walk into a shoe store, there's hundreds of different brands yeah. and they're all screaming out at you with all their advantages. My advice to all my patients is what it, wear whatever's comfortable. Yes. Whatever works for you, works for you. We don't prescribe specific shoes apart from, like I say, industrial circumstances. There, if you find a pair of shoes that works, I wear Doc Martens, you know, um, they work for me. 
um, then stick to it. And even for all the ladies out there who you want to go out and look glamorous and wear your heels, my advice, go for it. Yeah. Because while that may potentially, you know, cause a bunion down a track, we can fix it for you. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Um, And what about, I suppose I have to ask this one, in Australia we wear so many thongs. We're a thong nation. Is that causing all the flat feet out there? Well, you know what, I wear thongs as well. And look, it may potentially cause a bit of clawing of the toes as you tend to grip a little bit more, but... It's Australia. I know. You know you wouldn't Our be culture a, wouldn't, we wouldn't well, be you Australian. you wouldn't be Australian if you don't wear thongs. <laughs> exactly. You know, so go for it. So it's all a balance. It's all a balance. It's life's a balance, you know, and uh, everything in moderation. But I think that, uh, like I say, if you find something that works for you, stick to it. And I think you've made a good point. If you're in a work situation where, you know, you really need to wear safe shoes and mm. you're standing on your feet for a long time, then go responsible and, yeah. and go um, wearing really sensible shoes. Sensible and look, to be honest, it's dictated by a lot of work sites. Yes. You know, like we have patients who have a, Especially up north. Correct, and correct. All so the, it's a mind so that, yeah. you know, if they if we treat them for injuries, for example, or post-surgery, if they cannot get a steel cap work boot on, they may not be allowed on site. Yeah. So it's all the oak health and safety. It's very important. Um, and I it's think, very serious. It's very, yeah. look, it's very, I think Australia's great. We have strict rules and they're all for protection of the workers. Yes. And it tends to work very well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on MediTalk. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to know any time. A big thank you to Razor Saleh for sharing his knowledge and time with us today on MediTalk. To learn more about Razor Saleh and St John of God Hospital Subiaco, visit sjog.org.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of MediTalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.